Welcome to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Derek Butler. Derek is the drummer and vocalist for the As Is Band based out of Phoenix, Arizona. In the first episode of this season, I spoke with the trumpet player from the As Is Band, Kurt Fincham. And as I mentioned in that episode, I was very excited to speak to both of these gentlemen because I've always been curious about Ethan's time in the As Is Band. Just like Kurt, this was my first time speaking with Derek, and he couldn't have been more kind or generous with his time contributing to the podcast. He had some very interesting thoughts and stories of Ethan's early years in the Phoenix music scene. So here's my conversation with Derek. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Derek. How are you this evening? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you, buddy? I'm good, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about Ethan tonight. Oh, a pleasure, man. What a what a gifted, what a gifted musician he was, man. I agree. Um, but before we get into Ethan, uh, this is the first time that you and I are meeting or that we've met. Yes. Um, yes. I've heard of you before from Ethan, uh, Kathleen. I also knew uh, that you were in As Is. You're a little yes. bit of a legend in the Phoenix music scene there. So your name has come up over the years when I was living there and even after I, I left. So oh, really? If, yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about yourself, if that's okay. Okay. So are you a native of Arizona? No, my father was Air Force. Uh-huh. You know, and um, so... I was actually born, you know, back when they had, you know, the Cold War, they had all these sack bases everywhere, strategic air command bases. And they had one near Casablanca, Morocco. It was called Norris Air Force Base. And I was born there. So I was born in Morocco. That's where I'm from. But we left there probably, I was um, probably like two years old. Went to, he got stationed in Plattsburgh, New York, upstate where it's cold. <laughs> um, and pretty much from there, we ended up in Nebraska because of the Offutt Air Force Base, another strategic base. And from there, he went to, to Vietnam. And when he got out, we he got stationed in Germany, in Wiesbaden. And we were there for wow. three years. I was seven, eight, and nine during that time. And then in 70, we left and came to Arizona. Okay, so you've been there since you were about 10 years old or so. Yeah, like, yes, yeah, 1970. Yeah, I've been here since then. So I'm pretty much Arizona. Yeah, yeah, but a uh, little bit of an army brat at the beginning there, traveling all over. Okay, interesting. So um, I know that you are a drummer. Um but does that include, you know, all types of percussion or do you play any other types of, do you play any instruments besides drums and percussion? Well, you know, when I was in college, of course, you know, when you're a music major, you have to, you know, I had to learn classical piano. That's a must if you're a music major. Um, but I was also in percussion ensemble classes where I had to, you know, I'd, the director would say, okay, you're on vibes, you're on xylophone, you're on tom-toms so and he would rotate us 
So, but he's like my my Yoda. His name is Donald Bothwell, and he's retired now. He lives in Sun City, but um, yeah. So I'm I've not really spent time with every other percussion instrument, you know, other than you know the shakers, the tambourines, and all that. But I had to I had to learn timpani. I had to learn. Um, I had a marimba part in one of the the um, percussion ensemble things that we did. Mm -hmm. And I met James Moody while I was rehearsing because they used to have all these bringing all these heavyweight cats in in town. And um, I remember, I was learning the part for this performance that we had to do, and I'm like writing, you know, C sharp and all that, writing all that down. And this guy comes in, has these balloon pants on, like like MC Hammer pants with these shoes at the point, <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, man, you sound good." But I can tell you're memorizing it. Learn it. And I'm like, look, dude, I have marching band, I have percussion ensemble. <laughs> I'm in a combo class. I don't have time, man. I gotta get this ready. So I'm just learning it the best way I can. About that time, the assistant band director comes out and goes, Hey man, he's laughing. He's like, Would you like to take James Moody? You know, at FCC, the, the lunchroom is called the pit. Would you like to take James Moody to the pit? <laughs> I was looking at my teacher. I was like, I wanted to cuss him, I wanted to cuss him out because he heard the whole thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, James Moody, I don't know if you know who he is. Now, James Moody was a saxophonist, wasn't he? Yes, uh, yes he was in a singer. Okay. He did the one um, in the mood for love. There I go, there I go, there I go. You give wow. me a smile and I'm wrapped up in your magic. That guy. Oh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah. Um, so why the drums? What what led you to the drums in your life and not any other instrument? That's funny. Okay, my dad, my dad was a he's from Louisiana. So he was a primper. He's all about the club thing. And wherever he went, he had to look immaculate. Mm -hmm. So when we were in Nebraska, my mom had this guy coming over. My dad was in Nam, had this guy coming over. And I spent these years in the basement. He would come over, and I had to do, you know, the mama daddies. Mama daddy, mama daddy, mama daddy. Oh, you know, eventually, eventually turning it into a role. But, but for, I hated it, man. In the basement for an hour a day, mama daddy on a practice pad. Mama daddy, mama. And then, and then we ended up going to Louisiana when my dad got back right away, and that stopped for a while until fifth grade, where we start kids back in the you know when everybody starts actually playing music. Mm -hmm. so, so I was the only kid who could do like an open stroke roll because of that, which is I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so I ended up being first chair, but in elementary school that don't really matter. <laughs> Right. You all sound terrible. <laughs> but um so I'm sorry, I'm getting off track. So my dad, Milano's music here in Arizona, in Mesa was the only music store. There's no guitar center, no Sam A. It was Milano's. And that's where you went to get your stuff. And so my dad wanted me to play saxophone because he's a jazz buff and he was really into Charlie Parker. So but he waited so long trying to get ready and get us out of the house. 
by the time we got there, there were no saxophones left. All they had was the case with the glockenspiel and the practice pad and the glockenspiel mallets. So we ended up getting that. Okay. And so that's how I ended up being a drummer. Oh. Which worked, which worked out fine. Sure. What are you up to nowadays musically? Are you still performing? Yeah. Um, I play, okay, the steel drummer and, and um, as is and Sugarbeat. We have a trio with our old guitar and lead singer, Alan Dekina, and we play at the Mick every, it used to be Voice. Mm -hmm. we, we play at the Mick every Tuesday from six to eight. That's one project. I am in a band called The Effects also, which is a ska band. Cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's really weird. As is, is, has sprouted out like a little fraternity. Like the bass player in that band played in As Is before I played in As Is. Wow. His name, his name is Shad Rock, so the ska band. I recently just joined another, a top 40 act that's called the Good Medicine Band because the leader of the band is, um, he's a doctor. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, um, I actually would like to start my own funk project, but you know, it's hard. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with the responsibilities. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, eventually I may have to do that if I want to do it bad enough. So, right. Like, yeah, I, I'm keeping busy, man. Sometimes I, I don't want to do something, but I, I just go out and do it. So, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sounds like um, you keep pretty busy at it. A lot of yeah. projects you're involved in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, practicing, listening to tunes, you know, doing the wood shedding for everybody. So, But it's all good. Finished product. Have a good time. Yeah, and it sounds to me like you and Ethan had a lot in common in that way. I remember he was always very busy with gigs, oh. you know, sometimes two or three gigs a day, uh, yeah. seven days a week. He yeah, was, he blew up. He yeah. blew up. He's pretty much an unknown when I, I first met him. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, how did you meet Ethan? Do you remember? Yes, I do. <laughs> like it was yesterday. Okay, so we're all being as is in in the as is band. We were all pretty much like the reggae thing, the ska thing, right? It was really big back then mm -hmm. amongst the college kids, and so. That's what we were really all about. I mean, that's how I learned how to play reggae, was listening to ska bands and Bob Marley and UB40 and Steel Pulse. Mm -hmm. So, so Fishbone is playing at, what <clears throat> was back then it was called, um, used to be called the Devil House, but it was Club Rio at the time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I was in the parking lot. I had parked my car, making my way into the building, and there's Angelo Moore, the lead, the lead, the front man for Fishbone. Wow! <clears throat> in the parking lot, in like this hemp suit. Mm -hmm. It was like a burlap suit with a long like coat that had marijuana leaf prints all over it. Right. <laughs> pulling up i'm walking up and i'm going to myself i'm going wow that's angelo moore wow so i went up to him i go angelo man how you doing man i, I love the band 
goes, yeah, man. Oh, yeah, man. He opens his coat. He's got all, like, reality in my surroundings, all these videos and poems that he's written over the years. Wow. And he's like, yeah, man. I got all my best stuff, all my poetry, all the things that I write, man. And then, oh, hey, and I'll sell it to you, man. All this stuff right here, man, it's good stuff. I'll sell it to you. I said to him, I'm like, why are you doing that? All the money you guys make, man. He's like, I don't make, we don't make any money. Huh. Tour, but we don't make any money. So, so <clears throat> me and him, he he went inside. And this kid walked up to me out of nowhere. He goes, you know how he was. You know Ethan's energy, right? Yeah. He's like, you're, you're, you're a fishbone, aren't you? And I go, I wish. No, I'm not in Fishbone. You know, I'm in a, I'm in a group called As Is. He goes, wow, you're in As Is? Yeah, I'm a drummer. He goes, dude, dude, you got to get me in that band. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> what instrument do you play? He goes, I'm a bass player, man. And I go, well, as a matter of fact, at that particular time, we were in flux. We weren't happy with the bass player we had, and he had some other things he needed to do. Get me in the band. No, all your tunes, man. No, all your tunes. He's, you know how excited he would get if he oh, was. Yeah. Excited. yeah, give me. A, I know all the tunes, man. You need to give me a shot, man. Give me in the rehearsal. So, so we go into the show. Me and the percussionist from Azaz was there. We ended up going into the back in the patio, and there's Norwood Fisher, man, with like seven shots of tequila. Like he was going to drink them all. So we're like, Norwood, how you doing, man? He's like, yeah, okay. Would you guys like a shot? We're like, okay. So we did a shot with him. And then the, the, the show went on. And I didn't really see Ethan after that. Um, but the next rehearsal we had it with as it is, I was like at the rehearsal and I go, man, this kid came up to me, told me that he knows everything. He knows everything we do. And he can play anything that we've done. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, whatever. Right. And I go, well, hey, yeah, let's let's make him put his money where his mouth is. So we actually called him and had him come out. I can't remember how I think he I think in the exchange in the parking lot, he gave me his number. Okay. And that's how we were able to get a hold of him. And um so he came to the rehearsal and Chris. I shit you not. Every tune we did, he played it down flawlessly. It was like about seven tunes. <laughs> and right off the bat, reggae style, ska style, the funk things that we were doing, he had already listened to those tapes or whatever those or the CDs. But he knew what to do. Wow. And everybody was like, everybody's like, wow. <laughs> they go, well, I guess he's in. We're like, yeah, he's in. He's in. And that that's how it all started. I didn't, you know, at the time I didn't realize that not many people knew him right. at that point in in his in his life, especially in the Phoenix area. I mean right. I had been in other bands before <clears throat> and his Uncle Jim. We there's there's pictures like Ethel's Attic or other venues where we would be on the same bill, not the same night, but on the same advertisement mm -hmm. that's jim newman so but i didn't know i didn't make the connection until ethan got in the band but yeah man he played everything flawlessly so i i kind of like when he was here i used to tell all my friends you know 
I got that guy started. <laughs> but, but honestly, with that dude's talent, man, I mean, yeah. he just, sure, sure, I got him in the as is and, and he tore it up and we had many adventures that were just great times. Um, it was, it wasn't really anything that I did, man, because honestly, that cat would have been hanging around and he would eventually got in by himself because after he left as after I left as is, and then he, he left after that, he just blew up. Yeah. You know, yep. <clears throat> he just blew up just because of his talent and he was, he could do anything, anything he threw his way. It could be earth, wind and fire. It could be parliament. It could be, the, I like to call him the anti-Hank. <laughs> um, Garth Brooks. Because <clears throat> I know he I know he was he had some he had some he had some really cool country chops and he could do it all. He's he's he was into heavy metal, you know, he's a Rush fan and but he, he could do there's nothing he couldn't do. Was there a like a noticeable change in the energy or the dynamic of the band after he joined? Of course. Of course, you know we had this this young kid, man, who the way the way his hair was, he kind of looked like Jesus back <clears throat> then, you know. And um, he was just this young, energetic kid. Yeah, man, he had he had he had his little move he did on stage, <laughs> you know. Yeah, his little move he had a lot of energy. Yeah, he brought a lot of energy. And me and him, there were times where we'd be if we had a bad night. <clears throat> When he like probably within the first month, we'd have nights where we just kind of weren't in sync. <clears throat> and I one night I told him, you know what? All you need to do is just listen to my hi-hat. Just do what you're doing, but lock onto my hi-hat. He goes, nobody's ever told me that before. Wow. wow. And he figured that out, man. And we were one after that. You know what's interesting about what you just said, Derek? So I met Ethan in 2003. So I started playing with him. Now, at this point, I, I would say that I was still green. My timing was a little off. Mm -hmm. We were playing this gig at Sugar Daddy's. And my friend Randy took a solo. And Ethan kind of bumped me with his elbow and called me over. And we were standing in the back right next to Tony King while Tony King was playing drums. Yeah, incredible drummer incredible yeah i know and then so uh ethan reaches over and tells me in my ear now i want you to focus on tony king's hi-hat you hear it <laughs> i said yeah he goes this is what i want you to do i want you to try and play a little bit faster than his hi-hat so i would and he go okay good now i want you to play a little bit behind his hi-hat try that and then you know so now it's like you know, it went from you to him to me because he used the hi-hat thing with me to help me with my timing. Nice, nice. I never heard that before, man. And then that reminds me of something else that I'm curious about because a lot of the musicians I speak uh, to and something I experienced performing with Ethan as well was that he was a master at conducting the band. Um, he, yes, was a, he, he was a natural. He was really good at it. But being that he was so young and that as his, I, I know he did the, a country band before you guys that was pretty organized and put together, but 
Um, not one I would I would assume because I don't know anything about that country band that you guys had a lot more energy and mm -hmm. charisma and that kind of thing. So when when he was first playing with you, still young in his career, um, was he doing any of that directing on? I would assume not because he wasn't the leader of the band. But no. Did you see that kind of stuff? Like early signs of him getting to that point? No, I did not see that because he was, you know, he was young and he just barely got into the into the Phoenix scene. Sure. So he was pretty much his he was pretty much just striving just to lock it down <clears throat> so that him and I could support the rest of the band and be good at it. Sure. Yeah, because yeah, you, you and him would be like you know, the ones that would need to be more in sync kind of deal, you know, in the band, especially if you're, if you're doing funk and reggae grassroots type of stuff, you yeah. got to get that nice groove down. Oh yeah. And, and so, and, and you know, but did you notice a development in his ability to groove as you guys, as time went on? Yes. Oh, him and I, him and I got really, really tight. I mean, I mean, playing with Ethan became so easy, and I'm I'm pretty sure he felt the same way. I mean, because it was just, it we got to the point where we didn't even have to think about anything. We just locked in. Wow. From from, from the first downbeat into into the songs, into the sets, we would just lock it down until until I started my um my little crazy downfall there. <laughs> Uh, you guys, so you guys played. A, I'm assuming a, a ton of gigs together during that era. Is there any one? Is there any one particular gig that sticks out in your mind where either you guys were really locked in a groove, or something memorable happened? Or yeah, okay. okay. <clears throat> New Year's Eve, we were doing the block party. Mm -hmm. There in Tempe. Yes. Okay. And um, we were playing. And Ethan was doing his his moving moving around and doing his show thing, and we're all having a good time and we're grooving our butts off. And he was next to me, and he was walking around, and all of a sudden, he disappeared. Huh? Yeah. And the bass sounds they stopped. What had happened? And this was like maybe a three and a half four foot stage. Ethan completely <laughs> fell off the stage. <laughs> he fell off and he came back around and there he was so he had to climb back on the stage and he kind of like his elbow a little bit but he got back on stage and then continued the rest of the show <laughs> was he embarrassed did you guys give him a hard time about that uh we didn't give him a hard time about it it was just, just one of those funny things you know he it's really funny. Back then, the New Year's Eve gigs, they had so many bands at, on the block party that, you know, whether we're playing our butts off or not, the people were just walking by everywhere. Oh, so sure. basically background music on a large scale, basically what it is. Mm -hmm. right? But we were all locked in together because we were all we were all brothers, man. Me and I can I considered Ethan to be a brother to me. We used to, you know, talk about things and talk about life and you know, he was, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a Trekkie. I'm a big time Star Trek, the original series fan. And 
he was, you know, he's if you know him, you know he's a Star Wars guy. Right. Yep. And we're both Beatle freaks. We would sit and talk ever about all the the voice fluctuations that Paul could do and <laughs> and how Ringo was ahead of his time. And I always hope someday that that we could be in a, a Beatles band together, a Beatles cover band together. Oh man, that would have been amazing. I would have loved that. I could see him with a Hoffner bass. <laughs> sure. sure. But um yeah. Yeah. So after you guys uh you know what you said you departed as is before Ethan, right? And then Ethan yes. after. Okay. Yes. So through all the years, did you guys ever hook up for any other um side projects or fill-ins or anything like that? No, but we ran into each other like we did a show um, with Delcoa one time. Oh, cool. And um, they were on the same bill as us. And so Ethan ended up sitting in with us. And it was like he never left. Wow. Yeah. Um, there was one time. What's, what was the other band he was in? It wasn't Delcoa. There was another band he was in. Okay, so he's been in, let's see. There was Tate. There were Tate. And then what was Tate. Paper McGee's. Okay, yep. This is funny. So I I somewhere through the grapevine, I heard that they were there. So I mean I live in Chandler. So, so I go to Faber McGee's. They're up there playing. And so the lead singer, Ethan, they had him, they had the lead singer scat, right? And so Ethan saw me, he starts laughing, he goes, Oh. I feel, I feel a scat contest coming on. I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, no. And um, so the guy did his thing, you know. And dude, I'm, I'm an R&B guy, man. So Al Jarreau, Bobby McFerrin, yeah, <laughs> and even George Benson, yeah. Uh, I, oh. I that's that's what I love to. I would love to do, and that's what I listen to a lot. Those are those are my influences. Um, Great artists. Yeah, their guys, their guy did his thing, man. And I went up and did a, a, probably, but I just kind of mixed up everything that I've learned from those those artists and just threw it all out there. Because I'm not a scatter man, but I just kind of went. So <laughs> just, apparently, I just tore this guy apart. <laughs> Everybody was like, ah! got off the stage, and Ethan goes, See, that's what happens when you challenge a black guy to a scat. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Me and that guy, man, when he was. It's one of those things where you know change is always going to come, but sure. I would have been just fine if I hadn't screwed up, and we all would have just stayed in as is, and him and I just would have stayed in that in that whole groove thing, right? You know, yeah. But you know, it is what it is, and but he actually that was a probably a good thing for him, man, because man, I'm telling you, I started, and then I I took a hiatus from music for a while, but I was still hearing. About Ethan. Right. And I was hearing about all the stuff that he was doing. Then when I 
finally got my act together and started playing music again. And I actually got to see, man, my God, he, this dude just exploded. Mm. So, what did you know that, what, did, what was the <clears throat> difference that you noticed between, you know, the time that you rejoined after some time and you heard that he was out playing, you went and saw him. What was the major difference between your memories of him playing in As Is and when you saw him out with his other projects? First of all, he was strictly, at the time, I didn't know he could play guitar. It, it was not known to me that he could play guitar. But during that time, he had learned how to play guitar or he already knew how, how to do it, but I didn't know. But he was more of an accomplished musician. After I saw him doing um, a duet with my, another brother of ours where it as together, as is together, Alan Dakina. Mm -hmm. And um, he was playing his bass, but he had that thing with the, the cowbell. Yeah, bass. the foot timbre. Yeah, yeah, and that too. And a tambourine, but he also had a, a a cowbell with a beater. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I just I thought that was just amazing to me. Uh-huh. You know, just I don't know if he just learned how to do that and practice and says, okay, this is what I'm gonna do so I can do my thing, or or if he already knew that before he before I met him, but it just seemed like he just became extremely more accomplished. As a musician, you know, mm -hmm. as and I always knew he could sing, but he 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 didn't do much singing in as is, but but I didn't know because we would we would sing Beatle tunes together, so I knew he could sing. Right. <laughs> so yeah, and then I would go out and see him whether he was doing a single thing by himself, which to me was amazing, and he was playing a guitar, or he was the other half of a duet. Or with Delcoa, or with Tate, and he was just—it—it it seemed to come really easy for him, you know. Right. And and believe me, I get to this day if I'm on a gig and I see a bass player with five, six strings, I'm like, oh great. But Ethan, Ethan knew how to play. Right. <laughs> you know, he didn't have to be all over. A lot of guys don't have that many strings, but not use right. them. Right, the right, right, right. You would swear he had a four-string bass when he played his five-string, man, because that's just, he was all about the pocket. Yeah. And, yeah. Speak, and speaking of being in the pocket, you know, you brought up his uh, foot tambourine. And I've mm -hmm. mentioned this in other episodes with people I've spoken to because that he was mesmerizing with that thing, no matter at what level of the night he was at either, or if it was a syncopated tune, or if it was a three, four or something with kind of a, a tricky signature or something, the guy was always on with his foot on that thing. And yeah. which, and I've tried, I've tried myself, you know, since I left Phoenix to do like some foot stuff while I'm playing and I just mm -hmm. have the coordination for it, but it's not easy to get in a pocket like that and hit that thing and be on no matter what style you're playing. But Ethan could do it. And I would just, I would always find myself zeroing in on his foot when he was doing the acoustic thing. Cause I couldn't believe just how on time he was, you know, with that. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. It's, it's almost as if at an early age, maybe it was instilled to him by Brad 
or his mother that, you know, something that you want to do, just do it. Because mm-hmm. that's the way that's the way it appeared to happen for him. Right. You know, anything he set his sights on, he didn't have a problem getting to where he needed to be. I mean, the guy did not have a degree in music. It was in something else. History. <laughs> yeah, right, Culture right. Sciences, yeah, right. Right, right. Super intelligent guy, man. Funny. Yes, he did have that stage presence. He did. Yeah. Have you have you had have you had a, ever had a chance to look at um any of the old as is videos on YouTube? Yes. So I, I did an interview with Kurt Fincham. Okay. And he shared, and I love your all's cover of Fool in the Rain. Yeah. And um he went went into depth in some of your tunes. Um, and he shared uh, some videos and I went on YouTube and I, so, so I studied as is pretty good before I talked to Kurt. And um, yeah, I mean, you guys, I mean, just phenomenal band, you know, well, you, saw the, you saw the, the homegrown video then. I think so. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier that um, you guys became pretty close. You talk about life and things together he became close friends i mean mm-hmm. were there were times you know you mentioned that you had gone through some turbulent waters in your life and stuff were there times where you guys leaned on each other over the years or um, you know, a support system of sorts or was that a dynamic that you shared with him um not really you know because i was pretty much in my own little world man and so i didn't really really go to him for help there was times where he did and i do i appreciate this, there was times where he had to cover me as far as keeping the bottom half of the the tunes together because i was not reliable well over the years um that you knew ethan and were friends with him because i mean you're saying you guys would run into each other or you'd go catch him out you yeah. know so over the years i mean you you were still kind of you know, in touch with them. Yeah. And, you know, for me personally, it's not as if though Ethan was handing lessons out necessarily, but I just mm-hmm. learned a ton from just being around him, you know, as at, at, in life in general, on, mm-hmm. my, on my instrument, on my performance, my stage presence, stuff like that. Yeah. Were there any um, like lessons or influences that you took away from being Ethan's friend over the years that you could think of? Just the lesson that I got from Ethan was, you know what, just don't worry about things, you know. Like I've had I've had times where I'd be depending on the venue or where we were, and you get that little nervousness thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think Ethan ever had that. He was just, let's go do this. <laughs> That was his attitude. And and there were times where I, I would see that in him and it would, you know, straighten me up and put me, you know, because I always I always look at it this way. The drummer and the bass have to be together mentally, um, physically, and there has to be that bond there. So I would just kind of like kind of look at him and see where he was at before the show started. And then I would just like, okay, all right, that's where he's at. Okay, let's go. Let's go that way. Let's, let's do that. 
Sure. You know, and then that helped a lot. I mean, I don't know if it was because he was young and he was fearless. <laughs> sure. But but later on in years, it seemed to continue on to whatever project he was doing. I'd never seen that guy nervous, you know. Right. And I've 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 always been critical of my playing, you know. So there were times if the venue was like in Vegas, man, it's like, oh okay. Here we go. <laughs> uh-huh. But he never he never seemed to have a problem. So I would just kind of just pay attention to what, where he was. You know, I'm able, I, I have that talent where I'm able to look at people I admire and soak up a little bit of their energy. Sure. You know, to my advantage. Sure. And that dude was full of it, man. I mean, he had the energy. Yeah. And he had he had the positive vibe all the time. I'm sure, I'm sure that guy has touched a lot of people as far as that aspect goes. You know, mm-hmm. you oh, know, because sure. he he wasn't too worried about screwing up. But I do remember there are times if he was fumbling through a baseline, uh-huh. where he would kind of like turn back and go, "I suck." <laughs> oh, sure. I don't know if you experienced that, but yeah, there were times. But he was still kind of new in the band, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. where he was he was critical of himself, but it wasn't a nervous thing. It was like if he didn't, if his fingers didn't do exactly what he wanted them to do, and it was and it was noticeable between him and I, he would just. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was like that split second, and it was over, done, back right. into the show. Back into his zone, yeah. Yeah. What did you notice about the way uh, Ethan treated people in general? Always special, man. He treated everybody like they were like a good friend of his. I mean, we did have one guy in as is who's the pain in the you know what the trombone player. Like, did you have you heard anything about that dude? Uh, Kurt sh- shared that with me a little bit, and he even <laughs> told me about uh, there was a song that you guys wrote based on him. Ooh. Oh, me, Ethan, and Alan wrote that. Okay. What was the name of the tune again? It was originally called Oh, Scott. Okay. And then what did it end up, what did it, the name did it land on? Well, because we played it for him, the mm-hmm. recording that we did. And he's like, you guys do that. I will not get on stage. So we <laughs> changed it to Fresca. Okay. Yeah. No, no, Fresca. Yeah, it was Fresca. We changed it to Fresca. Fresca, that's the one. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. told me about that. And really, he, led me, he led me to that tune so I could check it out. Yeah. Trombone player. It was just one of those things where Ethan had kicked back and watched him in his selfishness and rudeness and how he treated other people. He just kicked back and watched Scott do this. So when we were recording, we were just playing around in a makeshift studio. And all of a sudden, the Eden even just started like these words just kept flowing out of his mouth, you know. We know this guy named Scott. We don't <laughs> seem to trust at all. He'll beg and plead and borrow till he drives you up the wall. <laughs> and it just it, it just kept going. So we're me and Alan are just laughing. We're just laughing so hard, but it just kept coming, you know. Bitching gets you nowhere. We're tired of your ways. 
<laughs> we had we, we had a song. It was great. Yeah, oh, man. Those are the days, man. Those are those are some fun times. Sure, I bet. Yeah, I can just oh, imagine. He was so smart, so quick. You know, very witty, very quick. But yeah, and the intelligence to back it up, the knowledge. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, one one thing about um, Ethan that a lot of people loved was his sense of humor as well, and mm-hmm. he also he also seemed to have different inside jokes with different people, different types of humor that um, he would bond with people on. Did did you guys have any kind of inside jokes or uh, form of humor that you bonded over or had in common? We did, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> right. It, Chris, if you're ever in town, look me up and we'll talk about it over. Okay, there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it off the record because you got me real curious now. <laughs> What would you say was your, like, I know there's probably many different things, but if you had to tell what your favorite thing about Ethan was, what could you condense it down to? What was your favorite thing about Ethan? His sense of humor, man. There you go. His sense of humor, and as far as music goes, his groove, man. Yeah. And I was, it was, and not only that, it was just amazing to me to see how far he had gotten, you know, from from the time from that that time in the parking lot when hardly nobody knew who he was because he didn't really was not really in any Phoenix bands that I know of till like seven jump jump forward to like seven years later, man. It was just amazing to me where he where he took it the level he took himself to, you know? So, but yeah, I'd have to say all in all, his sense of humor was was what I I admired the most about him. This is all around, just all around good dude, man. Yeah, you know, there was times where I was in a band called The Real Thing, Mm -hmm. and it was these two girls saying like Aretha Franklin. Um, we would play at at Charlie's or at um, God, what's her other bar? Um, Jolie's, Jolie's place. Okay, yeah. And out out of nowhere, man, I'd I'd be looking at, I'd be back there playing, and I, I see Ethan. It's like, dude, he goes, yeah, I knew you were gonna be here, man. I just thought I'd come out and say, hey, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He just come out and hang, man. You, you never knew. You never knew where you, where you were going to see him, or, or on your gig. You never knew. I no. mean, when you least expect it, you were looking in the crowd, and he'd be just sitting there hanging out. <laughs> he would just pop up. Yeah. 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 And it was. It would always just bring joy to my heart to see him out. Do you remember any of the last uh, conversations or interactions that you had with him? Hmm. You know, the last conversation I had with him, we just hung out when the last time was at Jolie's place and he was at the edge of the bar and I I think he 
I think he bought me a drink. One or the other. Either he bought me a drink or I bought him a drink. And we just kind of said, hey, and talked about old times. You know, nothing specific. Right. You know, and I would, you know, I think I, I, think I told him how, how much I missed, you know, playing with him. And there were times where I would apologize to him, <laughs> you know, about putting him through, you know, me and my shenanigans and all that on stage. But And what was his response when you'd apologize? Oh, he would just go, oh, man, don't worry about it. I'm just glad you took care of business and you got, you're okay now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. So let me ask you this. If you had, if you had the chance to have one last conversation with Ethan, what do you think you'd want to say to him? I want to say, dude, you're a badass, and I love you, and thank you for the good times. You know, to me, for, for me personally, I think that would sum up what I would tell him. Well, Derek, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me, man, today. It's been just an awesome conversation, and I love hearing the stories, but you know, before I let you go, are there any other stories, memories, or thoughts, or anything else that maybe you thought of before we were talking that you'd like to share? I just want him to know that I I, I love you, dude. Love you, dude. Miss you terribly. You know. So. Well, that's a that sounds like a good note to end on, Derek. Thank yeah. you so much for taking the time. It's a Thank pleasure you, meeting you. Yeah. Thank you for doing this, man, because that guy was such a he has such a good heart and he was just way too talented. He just let things just go the way they, they, they went, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's good that you're doing this because he's 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 worthy of being noticed and talked about and enjoyed and the good times and having fun conversation about. He's way worthy of that, man. Went before his time, man. Yeah, I agree. And I and I also hope that, you know, through this project that not only those of us who love them can re- recall our memories and thoughts of them, but I'm hoping that some other people get hip to just what a special person he was. Yeah. Hey, man, if I ever see any kids who are out there and want to want to do do what we do, I'll tell them straight up, man. I knew a bass player, man, who had no inhibitions as far as music went, would do anything you put in front of his face. <clears throat> didn't matter if it was R&B, rock, punk, country, metal, yeah, um, hair band music. <laughs> didn't matter. He knew it all. He knew it yeah. all because he was a sponge. That's one of the things I could say about him. That pretty much sums him up. He was a sponge musically. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, Derek, you have a good night, and uh, I'm just, I'd like to keep in touch with you at some point and get some of those stories we couldn't talk about on the on the air. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, I go back to Phoenix for a week. It's like, I don't even know how I'm going <laughs> to get all around. But hey, if, if, if you do, if you do, please put me on your call list, man. Yeah, man, I'll, I would love wherever to. Wherever you're at, I'll come out and see you, or maybe we can hang and have a beer or whatever. Yeah, please do. If you ever decide to do that and come out here, please put me on the list, man. I'll come out. You know? Sounds good, Derek. All right. Because I never, 
I never, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll say this and I'll let you know. I never got to really hang out with all the other musicians he played with them, other than just the as his people, except for just going out and checking them out, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, and there were so, and there were so many of us that all those guys would love to talk to a cat like you who was with Ethan in the, his early stages of his career. Because yeah. we all knew him when he was so seasoned. Yeah. And I'm sure that you saw maybe some of his insecurities, some of, you know, when he was forming his base. Yeah. Foundation for his musicianship, you know, it was probably in that country band. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure you guys put him to the test, too. And he probably, well, like the thing with the hi-hat that you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. That he imparted to me. You know, it sounds like, you know, a lot of guys tell me lessons that they learned from Ethan. But it sounds to me like Ethan was learning lessons from you guys. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, and that's how it is in our business. We learn from each other, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right, Derek. Well, you have a good night, and thanks again for your time. All right, brother. You take care. Thank you. Thank you. All right, man. I really enjoyed listening to Kurt and Derek's perspective of Ethan's time in the As Is band. It was somewhat of a contrast to the time that I spent performing with them and many of the other musicians that I've spoken to on the podcast. And what was even more interesting to me was that, you know, Ethan took a lot of the lessons that he got out of performing with the As Is band in the example that Derek shared with me where you can fall in time with the drummer by listening to his hi-hat. I've been telling that story for many years, and uh, to find out that it originally came from Derek was pretty cool. So I do appreciate Derek and Kurt both taking the time to speak to me, especially because they'd never met me before. Um, But again, it's a testament to the impact that Ethan left on so many people that he knew. Please make sure to join me next week when I'll be speaking with my very good friend, Randy Cavanaugh. We have known each other for a lot of years and performed together for a lot of years. And Randy and I met Ethan at the same time when we formed the Chris Tafoya Band. For anyone who ever had a chance to see Randy and I perform together, you'll know that we always had a really good time. And a lot of the lessons that we applied to our own performances came from performing with Ethan as well. Um, Our talk is, uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I think that you'll get a kick out of it too. So make sure you come back next week uh, to listen to that. I'd like to leave you today with the As Is Band's rendition of Fool in the Rain by Led Zeppelin. They did a great job with it, and it's always a treat to hear Ethan on bass in any song. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you soon. Uh, We also thank the Tropical Trade Winds for blowing. Yes, thank you, Tropical Trade Winds. Which way are they coming in from? Some Led Zeppelin. What is a Led Zeppelin? Well, baby, light in your eyes, it keeps shining. Like a star that can't wait for the night. I hate to think I've been blinded, baby. Why can't I see you tonight? And the warmth of your smile starts to burn it. And the thrill of your touch gives me fright. Girl, I'm aching so much, really yearning. 
Led Zeppelin. What? Can we get this one?